Hi there, and welcome to Scale, podcast for modern media. I am your host, Stuart Ritchie, the founder and lead developer at Powered by Coffee. Powered by Coffee is a web and software development team focusing on technology issues facing the media today. Scale is a podcast about how technology impacts the media and how the media impacts technology in return. Everything from ad tech and privacy to hosting and content management. We're interested in what's happening today, what's happening tomorrow, and where we might end up in the future. Today, we have Jamie and Ollie from Integra Media as our guests. We're going to be talking about advertising, ad ops, programmatic, and all those kind of good things. So it should be a really interesting episode. Integrum are a consultancy dealing with ad ops providers, so new entrants into the market, and with media owners trying to improve revenue and general ad revenue overall. Sorry, guys, I kind of like got a little off track on my intro there. Do you want to do a much better, a much better job of telling us about about Integrum? No problem at all, Stuart, and thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah, so Integrum Media, we set up, we're our sixth year now, so five years ago. Basically, we set the business up to, to cover off two, two key things. One, two help advertising technology businesses launch into the UK market. So typically established businesses in the US or the rest of Europe or the APAC region that are looking to capture the UK market from a, a commercial perspective. And they're typically ad tech businesses. The other side of the business is very much driven around ad ops and revenue growth for media owners. So doing full programmatic setups, driving revenue to specific goals that we set, advising on gap placements to manage user experience and just essentially building in a whole realm of possibility through the ad world for media owners, essentially in the best, most user-effective way possible. Awesome. And then what's what's kind of your own roles? So so my role is, uh, well, to be honest, our roles are very similar. So Jamie and I come from very similar backgrounds. We actually worked together many years ago for a mobile advertising platform. I think where we complement each other is that I'm very much more commercially driven and Jamie is very much more technically driven. So I focus a little bit more on the business development of the business, the business development for the businesses that we represent and focus more on the revenue side of things. And over to you, Jamie, on your side. Thanks. So yeah, as, as Ollie said, like our roles are fairly similar, but the thing that I would say I bring is more of a technical background and expertise. So my sort of career started in systems integration, computer science, that that sort of world. And I think what I do for our business and our clients is more centered around demystifying some of the technology side of, of advertising. There's lots of sort of systems and platforms that need to come together for a publisher or a media owner in order to kind of deliver an ad. And my experience is more focused on integrating those systems in an effective way so that we can, you know, have a good experience of ad delivery for whether that's a, a user on a website or for the actual platform delivering ads to users. And I think now, Jamie, we've been working together in multiple capacities for how many years now? Ten? Too lo- Too long. 10 years, I think. 10 years. I'm sure you must have an excellent working relationship if you're still here after 10 years together. But that's great. We do. We and do. We, co- we complement each other well. Great. So brass tacks then. Advertising, like it or not, it's, it's how we pay for content these days in most cases. For those who don't know, for maybe someone who has never run advertising on the internet before a new site led a new brand whatever someone just getting started let's make sure they are caught up so how how does online advertising work normally day to day well that's a that's a nice broad question (laughs) how does it work day to day i mean i i guess if you want to focus on the kind of core element of program of of advertising now which is programmatic which essentially makes up i think now 80 85 percent of of the ad spends that that runs across the uk market it's it's essentially running now as an ad platform that is is completely automated right so all the buying and selling of infantry now is completely automated so from the day-to-day running it's really ensuring that everyone has a team in place that can can manage that automated process. And whilst it is automated, it's still very much people orientated in, in that tracking. So, Jamie, it might be worth you just mention talk discussing a little bit around what that that basic setup looks like for a publisher. Yeah, so on a day to day perspective, I think if you if you have a website or you're a media owner of any capacity, it's you know you will carve up slots, and we've all seen it. You go to any website on the internet that's free these days, you'll see ad placements now whether they're banners or they're skins around a website or they're integrated placements in content um, each of those ad placements will have some technology associated with them whether it's a javascript tag for a direct 
sort of piece of, of ad that, that's been trafficked into a traditional ad server, or as Ollie said, more in the programmatic sense. When a user visits your website, those bits of code will fire and traditionally they will fire to an ad server. The ad server is then the bit of technology that acts as the kind of arbiter, which tries to see what's available, whether that's programmatic, direct sold, whether it's something that's running through another kind of middleware technology like pre-bid. And it's the, the, the sort of auction that happens at that time from the, the millions of sort of connected buyers that may want to serve an ad to, you know, the, you as the user that comes onto that website and the process end to end of, as I say, that moment you visit a website all the way through to, you know, th this is always, you know, traditionally happening in a couple of hundred milliseconds, what ad is then going to be shown to you? So it's, it's that sort of basic process of getting an ad onto, onto the page, basically as the content is loading. So then just, just to recap that, I guess, make it shorter is like a web page will have, or I suppose even a mobile app has integrated advertising these days. So anything you're kind of seeing on a screen, you know, it's going to have slots or units in it. Um, the total number of units on a page multiplied up by page views that that is going to get is going to give you a rough idea of the inventory available to that and for that advertiser, watch that media owner. And then the advertising fulfillment happens, goes off request to server, the Google ad manager. In fact, Google Ad Manager comes back with put these ads in these in these slots, and then you know, like we we mentioned, they're programmatic a couple of times, which has kind of been this thing that has taken over. I think you said it was eighty four percent of the overall market. I think it's actually closer to ninety now, really. But it, but it's I think by end of next year, they're expecting it to be around ninety two and a half percent of UK spend all done programmatically, and it's programmatic as opposed to manual. So say direct sell where you've got like this line item is going to go yeah. into here on this this targeting is that the differentiator between programmatic it, and not or it, it kind of is but there's different there's different versions of programmatic so depending sure. on how someone's utilizing it there's open there's open exchange essentially yeah. and basic exchange revenue so if someone's just plugging in let's say a google adsense or google adx account and running programmatic that way um, it's relatively open. But then if someone does want to sell directly, they can get into things like PMPs, which is programmatic guaranteed buys and so on as well, where they can sell direct to an agency, but the agency or the advertiser will still potentially want to run that campaign directly for a number of reasons. One, they get better measurement, control, transparency as well. And also all of their kind of data layers that they put in place to track on their end around measurement as well. Also brand safety and so on are all wrapped up into that programmatic setup. So it's a lot more efficient, typically, for a buyer to run programmatically on, on that basis. So I, I think we'd say now that the, the sort of 5 to 10% that's not running programmatically is only not running programmatically because the creative units, let's say they want to run, or the kind of more sponsorship style deal they're trying to do with that publisher just, just can't physically be delivered programmatically because of the, the complex creativity they're trying to deliver or the brand message they're trying to deliver across that site specifically. That would be typically the one piece that would drive that smaller percentage that's still direct. But pretty much everything else from a standard ad format perspective runs programmatically. And then and just my own kind of like clarity as well, would, would something that was a direct deal to say you're in your app manager and you added the line items yourself, but that's still kind of programmatic or I suppose that auction is still running to be like, who's going to pay the most it, for this it, particular page view? It depends because I think programmatic is typically something that runs through an exchange of some description. So right. if you go into Google app manager, at, you know, other ad services yeah. are available, but um, <laughs> Google is obviously the, the, the most prominent, you would go in and you would traffic a, a campaign, you would have done a deal with an advertiser, you'd have creative, you would traffic that creative in the ad server, unless there is a component of that that is running into an exchange, I would not define that campaign as programmatic. So programmatic is typically where there is, so Google Ad Manager acts as, and I, there are kind of a lot of terms in programmatic, so they would typically be functioning there as what's called an SSP or a supply side platform. Then there is an ad exchange, which is the component that sort of acts in the middle as the, or the exactly as it sounds, the exchange component. You are the inventory, the inventory units are the supply, which is available for sale. 
And then on the advertiser side, there is the demand side platform or the bidder or whatever's plugged into the exchange. That function in the middle is what typically would define a programmatic ad. And it's all sort of governed by some standards that are defined as open RTB, which is real-time bidding. So when we talk about programmatic, that's what we're, we're really talking about. It's that process of when an advertiser, when a, when a slot or a placement becomes available for sale on an exchange, there are a number of connected bidders which see that opportunity and they can bid into that placement with a given price, a given campaign, a given creative. So in, in your ad manager setup or your ad server setup, all a publisher or a media owner would do is say that I have this imagery available for sale. That's sort of where it differs from direct sold because you know exactly what that deal is, what that advertiser is, your price points around that, and you would go in and create campaigns and set things up and have a lot more sort of visibility about exactly what's going to happen. Whereas programmatic is more about making that inventory available for auction. So then why, why has programmatic become, become so prevalent? Like, why is it now up to this end of eating 80, 90% of the market? It must present some significant advantage over how things were done before, like for, for groups to buy into it, both on supply and demand side. I think there's, there's kind of two key areas, right? One is, one is efficiency and the other is the, the targeting and relevance that it presents. So from an efficiency perspective, it removes the, the manual process that, that typically existed before, multiple IOs to multiple partnerships, which means more staff, a lot more admin, and it's, it's much harder to, to kind of track performance. So essentially it eliminates the need to negotiate traditional, what we would, we would have seen as traditional deals, right? And because of that, it's now driven by auction dynamics and, and rules. So we're creating this nice, as Jamie mentioned around RTV, we're creating this nice kind of auction environment now where best price wins for the publisher, but also the, I guess, transparency over supply and where that ad's going to run and the data points have now implemented against that ad impression, if you like, you couldn't really get in, in an original sort of traditional, just standard media buy. The publisher could essentially run that across their site wherever they wanted and just say, right, we've delivered it. Here's the amount of impressions. Send us the check. Essentially, we've done what you asked. Whereas now there's just so many levels of, I guess, measurement layers and so on in there that the efficiency it creates to ensure that that ad is being seen on the right site at the right time in front of the right person was very, very difficult to do before programmatic, essentially. And those technical layers have allowed us to do that. So that's that's really bringing the sort of targeting and relevance piece as well. I think it also sort of provides, if you think of the evolution of advertising, and we, you know, you can go back even pre-digital, if we talk about print, for example, you would go to a print publication as an advertiser and you'd say, I want to buy this many double page spreads or whatever it is because of the the type of content that this print publication presents. Digital advertising sort of started in the same way. So you would go to, as an advertiser, you would go to a particular website or a particular news publication and you would say, I want to put these ads in front of your audience. And that is sort of all the, the measurement that sort of existed in the early days of digital. Programmatic brings that measurement for the advertiser to an impression by impression level. So when, when any user goes to any website with, with programmatic advertising enabled, what happens is there are data points and parameters about that user that you know may, may be available about that user, about the, the specific type of content that's on that website. There are, there are you know, data even around you know, what time of day it is, what the weather's like, all that sort of, all that information is made available to the advertiser at that specific moment so that they can decide which campaign or which creative they want to serve so it becomes a much more dynamic experience end to end so in a perfect world it's a better experience for the user because they should be seeing a much more relevant targeted appropriate advert then for the advertiser it should be that they are reaching the user that they want in the place that they want at the time that they want so in theory and again this is all things you know all things created perfectly the experience should be better for the user, the, the media owner and the advertiser, such that if you then go back to that sort of original example of early digital or print, 
you know, I'm putting my ad in this magazine and it's going out regardless. And it doesn't matter who sees it, when they see it, what they see, they're going to see the exact same creative. So if you think of that sort of evolution, that's what programmatic has taken us towards. Okay. So generally like the the assumption here is that it's a better, better exchange for, for the user because they are getting something that is targeted and tailored to what it is matching their intent, the fact that it has taken them to exactly as they are to read that. Yeah. It's take, it's removed, it's removing assumptions from the buying process, right? So like Jamie was saying, taking an assumption that just because it's an automotive site, you can only run auto campaigns because that person's only interested in buying a car. Whereas actually now that you might see an ad that might not look like it fits well with an automotive site because it's something completely different, but it's being targeted to that user specifically programmatically based on their, their user trends, their buying patterns and so on. So that ad is probably the most relevant ad that user could see at that particular time given that they might have actually been looking for a TV, right? Half an hour earlier before they went on that site, it's now showing them an advert for a new TV at Curry's Digital that's in the sale or something like that as, a, as an example. So the TV might not be relevant to an automotive site, but it's relevant to that particular user at that time that is on site. And that's where that kind of efficiency and and targeting really comes into play for from a programmatic yeah. perspective. Is there any concern that that is a little bit diluting for the media brand owner. I know I have experiences of being on you know, news and analysis sites, political sites that are fairly well, well targeted and seeing ads for service providers, often marketing solutions that are advertising at me. Because clearly like I'm a valuable user. I'm worth a lot to them. Those are ongoing yeah. like three trigger a month subscriptions. They're clearly paying a lot to the advertiser, to the brand to get my eyeballs, but it takes away from their overall their brand where they've got like this like leading edge analysis and this ad for an SEO tool to the left. Yeah, well, I, and I think this is where this comes down to the media owner to manage their own user experience and, and figure this out against what their own personal goals are, right? So if it's all about driving revenue, there, there's kind of almost a, a three-tiered process, if you like, with regard to the level of advertising that you run on the site. The first is what that, that they would sell directly to their audience. So if they're a big enough publisher or media owner that they have their own sales team, they'll be going out and selling to brands that are typically relevant to the site. So let's just use automotive as an example. Let's say it's a classified automotive site. They'll be in an ideal world going to agencies and brands that would be managing Mercedes, Volkswagen, et cetera. And they'll be asking for, for quite high budgets, probably running that through as a programmatic guaranteed deal. But that is guaranteed, almost like a direct buy, but running programmatically with those levels of measurement and technology layers and so on we mentioned. That would probably take up 25, 30% of their real estate. They've then got the piece where they're opening up some PMPs to agencies where they're giving other automotive brands or relevant brands to bid at a slightly lower price. Where the retargeting and everything comes into is really in the kind of remnant leftover supply that they haven't sold directly, right? Sure. And, you know, that, that unfortunately does typically take up a higher percentage of the real estate because most direct buys only want to be seen once or twice per user. But if it's a site where they're looking at 20 pages, let's say it's a classified site, they're looking at 20, 30 pages in the user session, no advertiser that wants to pay a high CPM to be the 28 ad they see in that session, right? So that's yeah. where sort of open exchanges and and the open channels of programmatic come in and that's where the retargeting is and when you mentioned about being, being retargeted with something that might not be relevant to the site but relevant to you that's when you start to see those ads so any media owner has the ability to actually remove that if they want to sure. but it does drive quite a significant amount of revenue if they have scale if, if, a, if a media owner doesn't have that much scale they don't necessarily have to go down that open route because it's not financially viable enough versus detrimenting user experience if they don't have that scale that makes sense yeah so so it's just creating that kind of almost pyramid of you know the the top chunk of that pyramid that 25 30 percent is direct and specifically relevant to the content of the site the bottom of that pyramid is where there's more infantry but the relevance of the ads are potentially less effective but more effective to the user rather than the brand absolutely i mean it sounds like there's a lot of advantage here to kind of at every point along the way. So, you know, the advertising brand is getting a lot more control over where things are seen. They're getting a lot more data, a lot more transparency, a lot more kind of insight into where their ads were run, at what cost, 
grit. The publisher is getting, you know, an increase in efficiency or so the media winner increased in efficiency because they're not having to run a huge sales team they can backfill that inventory with, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And again, that, you know, increased data element makes it look good for them to their advertisers of like, hey, you've got this and this and very, I imagine probably fairly easy to actually do that kind of attribution work of like, yeah, this can't be an actually generated X, Y, and Z through this site. And that's great. And then for the end user, the reader, you know, more targeted, relevant as to what it is they're looking at. But I mean, nothing in the world is purely advantageous. Yeah. I mean, there must be some, some downsides to this. I think the obvious one for me is like user privacy. There's a lot of user data being tracked around and I think there are pros and cons of that. I think I know we mentioned it. We were chatting just before the show about some of the Apple stuff with putting more adverts on the app store where you were getting wildly inappropriate ads on, on some app listings. So one of the examples is an Alcoholics Anonymous or an addiction recovery app. Yeah. Those ads having those apps pages having ads for, you know, gambling bars yeah. and casinos and gambling. And then two minutes later, so don't do it. We'll help you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, exactly. yeah. I was going to say, and, and actually just, just for that, just with my, my kind of publisher hat on, there's, there's multiple aspects of both setups that allow the publisher to control that. Right. So if you are, I'm just going to stick with the automotive route just because that's the scenario yeah. that we're on, right? If you're an automotive site and you don't want anything else to run, bar, let's say, finance for things like insurance and so on, automotive specifically or anything within that realm, you can block every other category in most of these platforms, including Google. In fact, all, all of the platforms, you can block categories, right? So you're holding the, the programmatic buyers responsible for adhering to those guidelines that you have set for your site to manage that user experience and manage the content that's being driven. So you can go in and block dating. I mean, so a very, a very top line level and also more detailed dating, gambling, alcohol, anything like that. You can block all of that. If, if you start to see those ads, that's where the team you've built out, which would be a programmatic operations manager, whatever it is, someone that's going to look after, you know, your, your, your head of programmatic. It's up to them to, to make sure that's controlled and, and nothing slips through the net. Right. But with most of these reputable companies, they have the right setup to ensure that's controlled. The other thing is, as, as you set up programmatic, you have to have ad compliance in place, right? So you've got to have things like a CMP, which is a consent management platform. That consent management platform basically allows any user to go in and most people click accept all. I think we've all seen it, the kind of cookie yeah. acceptance piece. I think with some publishers we've run, the, the percentage rate of people that just clicked accept was actually around 85, 86%, Jamie. Seems to be a common yeah. theme. Even, even up into the 90s, I think a lot of yeah. This is, you know, we could do a whole different topic on consent, user privacy, and data. But I think programmatic and the ad technologies that surround user privacy and data have—I don't want to say it's a mess, but it is challenging for a publisher to know what to do, how to implement it, how it's then governed and controlled. But the, you know, there are frameworks in place that sort of make that better for users and. So I just want to come back to sort of one of the earlier yeah, things you touched to around the Apple example. I think where that differs with something like an independent publisher, Apple is a walled garden. The App Store is a walled garden. They can do whatever they want in terms of putting what ads in front of what content because that's that's a, an ecosystem that they completely govern. I think from the independent publisher side of the world, and, and even when we're talking about you know using Google Ad Manager and all the other the platforms out there, there are standards and there are independent bodies that sort of help to govern and help to moderate experiences in that world because user data and privacy is a very hot topic. And I think it has only become more and more important with the, you know, the transmission of every buyer. We, you know, I spoke earlier about every, every single time you go onto a website and you, in, an ad unit fires off there are pieces of information and data that could be tied back to you as a user going across the open internet to you know hundreds of buyers that are connected so things that Ollie mentioned like a consent management platform are really really crucial and the fact that you do that correctly because there are there are sort of leg there's legislation and there are there are legal implications of if people down the chain don't abide by what the, you say if you go onto a website and you give consent or you withdraw consent 
there are things that have to be done and there are ways that your data as a user have to be treated now okay. in light of you know the legal and, and sort of data privacy regulations that have come out. So it isn't easy, but there are things in place in order to try and you know make that as safe a place for a user to sort of transmit their data as possible. But and it, I don't know whether users necessarily understand all of that. And that that's sort of another yeah. whole other side of the conversation. It's not necessarily you as a media owner understand it, yeah. but do you, does does my mum, you know, does does my grandma when she goes onto a website that's and she different. mindlessly sort of, oh, just get rid of that, dismiss it. They don't understand what that means. And I think that's a whole other problem. And that's that's that's, I, that's down to the industry to to educate, but then also the industry isn't going to educate every single person in the UK, right? Only people that have a a general interest in advertising are really going to see that. So I think when you're creating a consent management platform on the site, there's some that are so overcomplicated and then you click, you know, you click um, the, the settings bar instead of accept all and it just comes up with a whole realm of stuff. I think if you can use one that's as, as simple as possible that explains things in a nice, simple manner, it definitely helps the, the, the end user. The other piece, just to explain that a little bit more, is that actually programmatically, no programmatic buyer due to GDPR compliance now should serve an ad if consent hasn't been given. So essentially, as soon as someone clicks accept all, that creates a, what essentially call a consent string. That consent string gets passed in real time to any potential buyer or, or advertiser through those exchanges to deliver an ad. If that consent doesn't pretty much equal yes, that user's given consent, then they shouldn't be serving an ad onto that page. So Typically in any programmatic setup, as long as you're working with, you know, the go-to sort of top 10, top 15 reputable businesses that are out there, that are typically global businesses that function in the UK, coming in from the US and, and other markets, that's all in place. It's it's just when you start to work with some businesses that, you know, are just, I don't want to name any names or anything, but there's some people that aren't necessarily doing things properly. And I think that's where, you know, the optimum setup and the research yeah. you do in that setup is is really key and as you get all this stuff in place it then helps manage user experience across other mediums like yeah. limiting the amount of ads so what the ad placement looks like does it fit in with the site Pan. all these things play together and that's that's essentially what jamie and i do and support on there on a day-to-day basis i that's news to me because i can't think of a time when i've hit to not accept or to reject consent and then not yeah. ads and I'm trying to think back and try and pick an example because I imagine that that while the consent hasn't been passed or programmatic or off to third parties that maybe that doesn't apply to say a house advert where it's an advert for something so, else within that business that you're already viewing the page on. That about, so there's, there's, a, yeah. there's a subtle thing there. So I think what Ollie refers to is if you go onto a website and you have not yet given consent, so either the, you can assume that consent is either a yes or a no there, there there's a it's much more nuanced than that but if we just assume for, for this example that consent is either yes i give my consent for the the purpose of data to be passed around something or no i don't at that point prior to giving consent ad vendors should not attempt to serve an advert if you give consent for your data to be passed on for those purposes then they can do what they like you know you and there's all the work with that if they say no what typically happens is that you will still be served an ad, but it will not be with data, with targeting, and it would be something much more generic. So it could be a house ad, but it could still be something served programmatically, but it would just be much more generic. So I think what Ollie was referring to that moment that you don't necessarily see an ad, that's more about when you have not yet given a signal of consent, whether that is yeah. a yes or a no. If you give a no, which is you know, there are sensitive users that do that. And I think more and more users think about the way that they give consent. You will probably still be served the programmatic ad, but what will happen in the exchange and that auction we spoke about is that the signal that goes across to the advertising platforms, the DSPs, is that it will be very clear that this user has not given consent. And even if there are pieces of data that are sort of associated with that advert, whether that's the IP address or whether that's the type of browser they're using, or there are signals that you may not necessarily think are particularly useful for advertisers, but they they still get passed in the bid stream. If a user has not given consent, even if those bits of data are passed in the headers of the page or whatever it is, it is the responsibility of the buy side platforms, the DSPs, to not use that data for the purposes of targeting and such, you know, whatever their decisioning logic is. So 
that's that kind of subtle difference. The only time you would probably not see an advert is that moment when you get that cookie banner come up or that CMB, CMP banner come up and you have not yet given a signal for or against. Okay. What about data that is part of the page? So say that page view from CMS has been tagged as relating to a particular category or a particular tag within the website. Would that count as user data for purposes of targeting? Or is that, because it's not tied to that user in it's particular? Not, exactly. It's so it's the page content kind of. So that, I imagine, is a useful signal in some cases. It is. And I think for a publisher if or a media owner and any type of first-party data that you can sort of understand about the content, the inference of where that advert is placed, even if a user has not given their consent for their data to be used, that's the user's right. right. That's the user's data and that, that belongs to that particular person you as a media owner or any, anyone as a media owner, you still have other signals that you can pass along in the bid stream. And, you know, <laughs> content is is exactly sort of the the first thing that comes to mind. So whether it's tagged with, you know, various parameters of what type of content it is or placement that you can still use and should still be using, in my opinion, for the purposes of trying to deliver a more relevant ad, because you'll pass that into your ad server anyway, and you may choose to use that for direct sell, for the direct sell campaign. So there, there's no obligation for the publisher to change the types of parameters that they may have access to and they may own and operate on, even if a user hasn't given specific consent around their data. Absolutely. So then I wanted to like ask about the future of, of programmatic. And I suppose with looking at how broad programmatic is, you know, if it's so much of the market, the future of programmatic is the future of online advertising. And things are very much in flux with so many data laws changing, with you know, how browsers are trading, third-party cookies changing, with new models of identification being proposed out of, out of ad tech providers. I mean, what, what does the future hold? You know, we're in 2023 now. What, what is this market going to look like in 2024, 2025, 2030? So, so to give you, I can tell you from a revenue perspective what that growth initially looks like, and then what I think well, some, some areas that we're going to, that programmatic is going to move into to, to help do that. So we're including social just in the UK alone, programmatic did 28.1 billion last year. So wow. billion, not million. Yeah. By 2026, the prediction is that it'll be a $40 billion market in the UK. Right. Wow. Which is, I mean, that's I know, 2026. Yeah. So what are we looking at? Three years, three years time, four years time. 40% increase in three years. Yeah, and if and if and if we look at some of the you know if we if we just move away just from from kind of the the digital aspect that we're talking about right now, which is typically desktop and mobile, programmatic's moving into a number of other areas now. So we're already across desktop, which was this kind of first the first place it landed. Moving into mobile and tablet, programmatic now is growing quite significantly across audio. If you look at things like you know Spotify, Global Radio, Global Radio have DAX, which is one of the biggest digital ad exchanges. I'll just say the UK. I'm not sure if it's truly global, but it, it's huge, and the vast majority of that runs programmatically now with audio ads. You've got digital at home, so it's most people will see now that if you you know if you come up the tube at Oxford Circus, they're not just little posters anymore. It's all digital screens, and it actually provides an immersive sort of digital ad experience the whole way up the escalator, right? And then to the point that you could come out and then see a digital screen, let's say a Piccadilly Circus, that's still projecting that same message. A lot of that now is is delivered programmatically. So there's now exchanges that operate just in the digital out of home space. And then on top of that, you've also got TV. So most people, I mean, obviously I'll say most people haven't got a percentage on this, but the vast majority of us now use the likes of Roku, Netflix, Disney Plus, et cetera, right? Yeah. And all of those are starting to take on ad models. So effectively, it's all becoming a kind of connected TV piece, right? And digital programmatic is very much moving into that connected TV space. So we're getting to a point now where as programmatic is, or the vast majority of it is delivered across mobile and, and desktop and tablet, the growth is going to come from those budgets expanding and actually people doing kind of much broader media buys across the whole realm and real estate of, of advertising as we see it today, which is creating a brand message across mobile, desktop, digital out of home, connected TV, audio, all, all in one buy, right? And that's where the growth opportunity is going to come from, from a, from a programmatic perspective. The, the question is, where does that budget come from? Do they take that from TV budgets? Does it come from somewhere else? Or does everything just at some point just become just one 
autonomous kind of programmatic budget and it's not being pigeonholed into a specific medium because it's all becoming becoming one right and i think that's that's definitely one that aspect that the future holds yeah i think thinking about all that it's, it's a little bit overwhelming because you now start thinking about the number of assets that are required yeah to kind of hit every potential touch point where you know we we've known advertisers that have struggled to get you know correctly sized banners you know for display advertising on a website or mobile i can't imagine the event okay we need this many gifts or and begs to like run up the side of an escalator to yeah. be up to a 169, 1610, up to, out to an outdoor video screen that could be any given aspect ratio. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a crazy amount of assets required. I've actually seen some really interesting platforms that are working to use artificial intelligence to create assets of all the different sizes and to kind of create that omni-channel experience off of mm. a specific campaign. And you know, I think AI is is going to be an interesting thing to watch. There's lots of noise that's been made in advertising about just machine learning, artificial intel- intelligence, and, and engines generally. I think it's going to be an interesting thing with, as we're talking about the future to think about what could be coming there. You know, I, I'm hopeful that it's going to create some interesting ad, ad experiences that perhaps we wouldn't necessarily have thought of. But you're right. I think for an advertiser, it could it can often be quite overwhelming to think about omni-channel delivery just purely based on the fact you you know the channels that ollie just mentioned there we've got audio we've got display we've got video we've got digital out of hope they would all typically need specialized efforts and teams to create assets and experiences around so yeah. that's where you know the, the ad agency really adds adds its value um, well, and, and and actually one area we missed as well was was gaming right and not 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 mobile gaming specifically but kind of you know console gaming um, yeah, and all, all of this exactly and, it, and it's, it's all moving into you know if you're playing if you're playing a football game like FIFA or you're playing an F1 game a good chunk of that branding you see when you're playing online is actually delivered programmatically it wasn't it wasn't designed in the game it's being delivered programmatically in real time and they're generating revenue from that so I was like I remember everyone used to look at Back to the Future the movie and say oh mm-hmm. you know did the hoverboard really come out by this year or like what predictions did they make and it makes me think of pro- programmatic advertising links. I don't know if you've seen Minority Report with Tom Cruise, which came out probably, what, 10 years ago now? Oh, 20. Long 20 time. years ago. Long right. Time. And I, I think it was a Spielberg movie, but there's a, there's a scene where he's walking along and you've got, as he's walking, you've got these digital screens and it's calling him out by name saying, hey, do you fancy a Guinness? And then he walks along and it's like, hey, John, do you fancy such and such? And that's kind of what programmatic advertising is now, essentially. <laughs> essentially what it was like in that movie but it's just not talking to you necessarily it's talking to you through technology it's just not saying your name it had, the ad doesn't say hey ollie do you fancy i have, buying I a have car? seen creative executions that do that but it's but it's it, it, it that's essentially where we're at now it's it's that personalized and it's across so many mediums now that you don't realize you're seeing something as a general consumer that actually has been targeted to you at that particular time based on your buying habits or and, and so on so i think i think those different mediums are a huge opportunity for, for growth and programmatic then i think my next jump off from that is those targeted experiences being more personalized are definitely a thing that will come mixed reality content so if you're walking down the street wearing you know some apple or google branded augmented reality glasses it's hard to imagine that whatever app you're running is not also going to be your example, hi, you know, hi Ollie, would you like a Guinness? As you walk past, past St. James's Brewery in, in Dublin, and I'm like, yes, I would. Thank you for him. Yeah, um, exactly. Here's a discount code on the door. <laughs> yeah. Then but it's, at what point is it too much? At what point do people, do show people will get tired of it and feel like it's a service or, and I imagine this is a thing that will overshoot and then correct back to where people are comfortable. I don't think it's, yeah, I think it's, I think it's the industry finding a balance that there's, there's benefits to it being sort of hyper personalized and hyper targeted because it means it's relevant. Mm-hmm. And that relevance then almost hides the fi- fact that you're being advertised to, right? Because it's, if it gets so relevant, it's something you actually want. It's, it's not disruptive. It's not distracting. It's not annoying because it's something you have a general interest in either purchasing or reading about or, or visualizing, right? Yeah. I think that's, that's where actually. It's a benefit to the industry. I think it's just, you know, there's been times in the past where you've made a purchase 
And then you're just being consistently retargeted for something that you've already bought, which makes it the most irrelevant advertising you could possibly buy or possibly yeah. see, right? That's where I think, and I think that's changing. I think that's where the, the annoyance comes from and the irrelevance. And that's when advertising becomes, you know, I, I think to answer your question, it, it, come, it becomes distracting and, and too much, right? So I think as we, as we focus on becoming more personalized, it creates that relevance, which means advertising finally becomes less annoying for consumers because, it, it, because of that relevance. But, you know, I mean, we see, I can't remember the stat now, but we see something like, we see something crazy, like, I don't know the exact number, so I don't want to don't quote this, but it's like over 200 ads a day we see and some on a daily basis per person. Like when you're out and about, when you're on the internet, when you're on TV, I mean, it's, it's in the hundreds per day, per user, every single day. And half the time, we don't even realize we're seeing it, right? And most of those ads aren't personalized because they'll be on a billboard or they'll be assuming that I'm watching a show on Sky and, you know, that's what the ad I should see for Sui Holiday or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think as, as that diminishes, especially as we get more into connected TV, everything becomes a lot more personalized across every media. I think it's a, I think it's a good thing. The other thing we didn't touch on there, which I think for me is quite important, it's important. Media owners have a responsibility, in my opinion, to show the value of or show the reason why they are putting adverts in front of a user. So adverts are there to generate revenue. And I think if you're a media owner or you're a website owner and you're providing your content for free, it's very, very obvious why there are ads on that website. They're there to pay the bills, keep the lights on, good journalism, etc. Now, I think where it gets challenging is where media owners are pushing the boundaries of how much of your attention they're able to capture through adverts for the purposes of you know, generating revenue. So we talk about connected TV and, you know, Ollie was mentioning some of the platforms there and, you know, Netflix have, have spoken about bringing in ads in, you know, exchange for a subsidized subscription. That's a very obvious exchange. If you don't want ads, fine. You can go ahead, you can pay the full subscription package and, and you don't get ads. Now, there's, as you sort of mentioned, Stuart, there's, there's going to be a correction with how many ads we can show, you know, with, with all these types of new technology, whether it's augmented reality or audio, there's always going to be a commercial pressure to put as many ads in front of a user as humanly possible because they want to generate revenue. They want commercial outcomes, but then. I think it's a user's responsibility or it is the user's responsibility en masse to vocalize and to feedback when that doesn't make sense, when that experience vastly overwhelms the content experience they're getting. And most of the time people vote with their feet. You, you'll see if you, as a, as a media owner, if you put ads on your site and your user numbers half, you've gone too far. Think about the way that you've implemented it. And, you know, you can use that example, whether you're a website owner and you've got you know, some content or you're a games developer and you've, you've put an app out on the app store. So I think it's the responsibility of the media owner to think about their audience, the way that they're using adverts in a mindful way, not only to generate revenue, but they should, in my opinion, they should add to the user experience, not completely overwhelm. I'm sure we've all seen, and, you know, I won't name names again, but there are websites you can go to where it isn't a content experience anymore. It's completely, it's an ad experience with content rather than a content experience with ads. And I think that's something just to think about. I think that's incredibly correct. And also very difficult to track because from a website's perspective, the way people access websites now is they generally don't have a huge amount of brand loyalty. They will search for something and they will click on the responses brought to them by the search engine to go through and consume that content. If that content or the answer to their intent happens to have more ads than content, the site owner doesn't care because they've already registered their impressions and fulfilled the inventory, knowing full well that their bounce rate is almost 100%. But it probably was anyway, because either that piece of content answered the user's question or didn't. So... Is that user going to stick around once the question has been answered or are they going to go off? Does the media owner care? Like that's the like the real trick and why we don't see these sites so much having to go back to having the fewer ads. That's my weird thought on it anyway. But mm -hmm. and then with like 
privacy changes and consent, it's actually much harder now to track what is our return visitor, our return viewer versus not to be like our return views have plummeted. But then do people even when looking at a search result, see the brand anymore or do they just click on the first one? Yeah. And I think when you look at individual cases like that, it's always going to be challenging. If you think about it at a more macro level, yeah. if yeah, you know, I'm interested in computer building computers and I go to a website for reviews on, you know, the latest graphics cards or whatever it is, if I end up on the same website two or three times, then if the experience has been good, then maybe I'll just go there in future. Whereas I, I see what you mean. Like because bounce rates are already already so high, what is the incentive for the media owner to make that experience better? And I think when you look at it on a an individual visit basis, it actually it becomes quite hard. But if yeah. you think about a, a media owner should also be considering how do you show a positive experience over a longer term? And if just in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, actually, that was, you know, I found what I wanted and I wasn't completely bombarded with ads, I will go back there again. Yeah. It's the same as like the the thought about, you know, did you have a good meal at a restaurant or not? Was it, you know, was the music too loud or was there something else in the environment that annoyed me when I was there for my core purpose? And yeah. I think, you know, that this is going to be quite hard to get right. But if we only think about, ads in a purely commercial sense if we think about the implementation of ads in a purely commercial sense for a media owner then you know over time we're slowly starting to well, not even slowly we're eroding the content experience that we're creating so yeah and i think that's like a super interesting like because you are you're actually correct and i think that we can look at that and kind of split the market in into you know, like niche destinations that have in-depth on a topic and are trying to build a brand around that. So like graphics card sites, you know, a perfect example, because you know, there's a lot of things of like, right, now this suits me in the type of things I do. And I'm interested in that person's take because they match my tastes versus say national media brands that have huge overheads and are just, the value is in the number rather than building the brand because nobody's going to go off and buy a t-shirt relating to said national media brand where someone might buy a piece of merch from another brand that they really like if they get into that creators on their work. I think that's like a really interesting explore around like smaller media firms often say on YouTube where they will have you know, embedded sponsorships where it's just like a one-off thing, but they are building that kind of parasocial relationship, but the brand is more important than the individual ad click-through. Bringing it all back around. I was initially going to ask, like, how does someone get started programmatic if they were interested and they've never done it before? What is the first steps for someone who doesn't have any advertising on a website, doesn't have any advertising on their mobile app, and it's interesting in making, making that leap for people to start to look? Yeah, good question. I, actually, just, just, just off the back of that, I think uh, first thing anybody needs to ask themselves is, do they actually have enough infantry to, to sell programmatically in the first place, right? What's the size of the audience? If the audience is of a decent size... You know, how many ads do you need to run per page to make it an effective revenue stream? And that's, that's where that, that balance is probably really crucial, especially when we're talking about user experience and so on. So if you're of a size where you need to run six ads per page just to make some decent revenue, you know, you're not quite in a good spot yet because you're not going to manage user experience. So I think understanding that your audience is sizable enough that by running limited ads per page, let's say two, maybe three, where user experience is managed, they're in nice prime positions, and you can, from a general rule of thumb of typical average ad rates, generate some good revenue from that. I think that's the first question to ask yourself. Do you actually have enough real estate to run advertising in the first place? Great. And then I think from that, if the answer is yes, there's this kind of two routes you can go down. If, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a, a large size and it's strong enough, you need to start building out the foundations of what that programmatic setup looks like. And you can't do anything without an ad server, right? So that, that's going to be the, the first point. If you're, if you're a little bit smaller and you just, you're not quite sizable enough to capture, you know, like Google isn't just going to integrate with, with everybody outside of, let's say, AdSense. And AdSense isn't their optimum revenue stream. If, if you're not quite big enough to kind of be able to implement multiple partners, do you go and work with a sort of a, 
I guess, a, a programmatic sales house where they look after sites of a certain size where they can actually do a cross-sell across multiple sites and you can piggyback off of the strength of their relationships with ad tech partners that you can't integrate because of your site. So there's kind of two routes to go down there, but you can't really establish that until you know the size of your, your opportunity based on your audience. So assess the audience size, assess how much inventory you can generate while retaining a reasonable UX and then yeah, set about obtaining an ad server to fulfill that and then partners to you know, provide that fulfillment, whether that your own sales direct or, or through one of the partner kind of organizations you said. Yeah, there's, there's a route there of, and also, you know, if you're looking internally, whether you, if you're sizable enough, do you build in a whole sales infrastructure of your business where they're selling directly to agencies and you have someone managing all the third party programmatic partnerships or do you actually just need someone on their own to just manage programmatic and that would drive enough optimum revenue to, to get you where you need to be. And the, you know, the next steps of that programmatic process are, there's a lot of them, which we probably wouldn't be able to cover them all off on next call, but Jamie could certainly cover off more from a technical perspective, what that setup looks like and, and what's needed post just putting in an ad server, because that doesn't obviously solve the overall problem of, of getting revenue to deliver, right? It's just yeah. the first step. Awesome. Well, maybe Jimmy will have you on to, again, to to talk through that because I think that's that's fascinating. How can you help our, our listeners? What can you do? I guess we, we've had a huge wealth of experience of doing this for ourselves, but also for others. And our, our background has very much been working with ad platforms to monetize publishers' websites, essentially. Jamie and I have always been the publisher side of the industry, not necessarily the agency sales side of the industry. So I think between us, 30 years experience of, of monetizing publishers, for companies and also representing them. So I think that experience probably says from 101 that we can, we can strip out the noise of programmatic and just let people know exactly what they do need to do rather than get caught up in the, the complexity of programmatic. Because actually the complexity isn't that important. Not everyone needs to know all the finer details of how every single layer works. It's really just getting back to the basics of we have an ad, it needs to deliver here. How do we make it happen through the integrations that are needed? And so Jamie and I can certainly advise, implement, and also manage that process, essentially. Awesome. Great. Anything to add on that, Jamie? No, I think that's, that's it. If, if what we've spoken about for the last hour is interesting, but you don't know where to start, that's where we can help. <laughs> yes. and, and where can people find out more about yourselves? Where can people follow or if you're still using social media? <laughs> We're, we're actually in the process of a bit of a rebrand, actually. Yeah. We, we've been so busy that we probably haven't utilized our social channels as much as we should. And one of the reasons, actually, is because every single biz, bit of business that we worked on to date has been through word of mouth and through connections that we've had in the industry. So we've been very fortunate. We haven't actually had to do any marketing to date in five years. Hence why we haven't yeah. utilized those social channels too much. So the best place to find us is probably our website, Integrum Media. .co.uk. And probably the only the only social media that is relevant for us is on LinkedIn. Thank you both very much. It was great. Right, thank you. We've been on for a long time. And I hope everyone listening enjoyed it. I know I did. We will sign off and speak to everyone soon. Thanks very yeah. much. Thank you, Stuart. Been a thank pleasure. You, Stuart. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, please subscribe. Scale is available in all usual podcast places. Even better, uh, if you could leave us a review. That really helps us. If you're interested in finding out more about me or Powered by Coffee, you can find us on social media. And again, in all the usual places, links are in the show notes. Scale is currently going to come out every two weeks and we will see you then.